tonight. So we're continuing our relationship series. And we've been talking about how to have healthy friendships, healthy relationships, healthy partnerships, help, uh, healthy workplace relationships and romances. And tonight we're delving into Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to talk about romance and does our life have a bigger purpose than simply romance and what that purpose might be and how to have healthy relationships in this area. And I think the important thing to start out with is what's the point of romance? Because if we have the wrong idea going in, we're going to have a hard time coming to terms with some of the things that the Apostle Paul and that God has for us here. So what's the point of romance? Most people say, well, the point is to be happy. But if you put the expectation of happiness onto another human being, they can't bear that weight. And it's absolutely uh, ultimately going to frustrate them. And you're going to be frustrated because they're not going to be able to always make you happy. And what Paul actually teaches in this letter to the Ephesians is that the point of romance is actually holiness, which is such a Bible word, right? Holiness, you don't go around and use that in everyday language. But essentially what it means is to become like God. Remember, we've talked about over and over again that we should live and love like Jesus does. We should act and look like he does. And um, romance is just another point of us coming to look and live and love like Jesus. Now, a lot of times what happens is we end up making romance the sole purpose or the ultimate goal of our life. And that's just not the case, right? In fairy tales, how does a fairy tale always end? The prince and the princess get together and they live happily ever after and the story ends like that's the end of it that was the whole point and the whole goal but in real life when you find somebody the story's not over right it continues it's a part of your story but it's not the main purpose of your story your purpose is bigger than your relationship status it's bigger than whether or not you have a husband or wife a spouse whether you're dating someone a girlfriend or boyfriend you were made for more than that and I think sometimes if we're not careful, we begin to think that our whole purpose, the ultimate good and goal in our life is to find someone to love us. And if we can find that, everything else will be fine. But you were made for so much more than that. And I'm going to use a little bit of an example here. I brought my toolbox. This is actually Darby's toolbox because I don't have any tools. But Darby does. So a hammer has a simple purpose, right? To drive nails into wood. And a screwdriver has a simple purpose, right? To turn screws, to attach things to a wall or to a shelf, something like that. So if I put them both in my toolbox, I now have two tools in there. I can take on more complex jobs. I can do things. I can build things that I couldn't build before. But you know what? The purpose of the hammer hasn't changed. The purpose of the screwdriver hasn't changed. They still serve the same purpose. Now together they can do some more. I can do some bigger projects than I could before. But ultimately the reason for which they were created wasn't changed. Obviously, I'm trying to make a connection here to relationships, right? When Darby and I got married, her purpose, the reason that God created her, didn't change just suddenly because she got married. She still exists to accomplish some purposes that God created her for. And the same thing for me. I was accomplishing purposes for God long before we were married, and I will continue to do them now in marriage. But marriage isn't my purpose. We were made for bigger things than that. And you say, okay, Alex, so what were we made for? All of humanity was created to glorify God. And we each uniquely glorify God through our talents, through our abilities, through our passions. 
Eric Little, who was an Olympian runner, he used to say, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. He was made to run, and when he ran, he says, I knew God was pleased because I was doing what I was created to do. There are things that you are created to do that no other person is created in the same way, with the same background, with the same passions to do. And when you do those, those are your purpose. And then when you become part of the church, you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become part of his mission to uniquely reveal the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And so all of us have this twofold purpose. Now, marriage, romance, relationships can play into that, but that's not your purpose. That's not your point in being. And I think a lot of times we have a real idolatry when it comes to this idea of romance and family and relationships. And not just our culture, but sometimes even the church begins to make families the center of everything. And the, the issue is sometimes we worship the American dream, which is find someone nice, settle down, buy a house, have nice kids, raise nice families, etc., instead of following Jesus' dream. I believe that Jesus lived the best possible human life that any human could be or could ever live. That's one of the reasons I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to live and love like he did because I think he lived the best possible life. Jesus never had a romance. If romance is our sole purpose and the greatest enjoyable, you know, the, the greatest uh, thing we can achieve in life, well, Jesus missed out. He couldn't have lived the best human life if that's our whole purpose for living. So obviously we recognize that romances are not our purposes. They can play into our purpose, but you're made for more than that. I talk to so many young people, and all they're passionate about is, who am I going to settle down with? Who am I going to end up with? Who is going to be my mate? Who's going to be my spouse? Who's going to be my partner? And the, the reality is, there's bigger questions to ask than that. Like, why am I here? What do I need to do with the time that I've been given? So we're working through Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 tonight. And as we look at this passage, there's something we have to take into consideration. This was written to a different culture, right? When this was written and Paul wrote this, he wasn't like, hey, guys, let me give you some tips on using those dating apps. There weren't dating apps. In fact, there wasn't even dating. This is a completely different culture. Most people got married through arranged marriages. Their parents were like, hey, you're going to marry him. And you were like, uh, no. They're like, too bad. You're doing it. Or a marriage happened many times to seal a business deal. They'd be like, okay, you're going to sell me those three cows? How do I know you're not going to cheat me? And he's like, well, I'll also give you my daughter to be married. He's like, okay, now I can trust you. You know, we're going to be family. And, I mean, people were cheap. And many times weddings were simply a way to secure a business deal. It was a very different culture and time. And remember last time we talked about the city of Ephesus and how Ephesus was a city that was messed up. They were really rich, but they had this temple to Diana where sexual orgies were going on. The family was completely messed up. People were casting spells on each other, and it was just a city of chaos and garbage. And so we have to take that in consideration when we look at what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to bring some order to the mess. And so we have to look at what Paul said under that lens. And tonight we're going to look at a passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 that has many times been taken out of context and used to bludgeon people, I feel like especially women, over the head. Um, so before we get into it, I'll just read it for you so we can talk about it a little bit and then we'll read the whole passage in a second. But Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And then in um, 
It goes on to say, you should submit, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And sometimes this passage has been taken out and has been used in really crazy ways, sometimes to really support things that have even been abusive or subjective to women. And that's not the passage. We're going to look at it in context. In fact, I want to take just a minute. The Bible overwhelmingly affirms women. Especially what was written in the New Testament was radical at the time. Paul said there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. You're all one in Jesus Christ. That was unheard of in his day. When he said, hey, you are all equally made in the image of God. Male and female, you're both in the image of God. That was an unheard of thing. So the Bible overwhelmingly affirms women, supports women. It does not um, support condemning or crushing them down or holding them under your thumb. Um, one time I heard a pastor say, he preached a scathing, uh, a scathing sermon on this verse, and he was like, wives, just get in line, just do whatever your husband say, which is not what the passage says. And then he says, and if you don't have a wife, I'm the authority in your life. And I was like, whoa, buddy, like, you know, that's, that's crazy, you know? And I think it led to a lot of unhealthy uh, decisions and authority structures in people's lives. So I, when I was going to do this passage, I said, Darbs, don't you want to just come up real briefly? You can just teach on those verses, and then I'll teach on the fun verses after that. And we'll tag team preach. You can take the hard stuff. And, I'll, and she was like, no, I'm not doing that. But I tried. So anyways, let's read the whole passage, and we'll talk about it in context, and we'll look at what Paul's talking about here. Starting in verse 21, it says, Submit to each other in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This, is, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each of you is to love his wife as himself. The wife is to respect her husband so this word submit here really has this idea of submitting to a plan which is a little bit different than what sometimes it's used as when it's just like just do whatever your husband tells you um, the idea is that you are submitting to each other in the fear of christ together as a family you're submitting to the plan of god for your family and then wives should submit to their husbands as they lead in the plan of god so obviously, they should come alongside and say, hey, this is the plan of God for our family. Let's get on board with it. Husband and wife, we get on board together. And as the husband lives out the plan of God for the family, the wife comes alongside and supports it. That's a perfect world scenario, right? That's the ideal scenario. Do husbands always love their wives like Christ loved the church? No, not very often at all. And so, likewise, we should expect that sometimes, as a result, that wives don't always submit to the plan of God for the family because the husband doesn't always lead the plan of God for the family. Ultimately, though, if husbands are loving their wives as Christ loved the church, 
then the wife will be excited about following God's plan for the family to use your family to uniquely reveal the gospel and to glorify God. If we don't love our wives in the right way, they won't submit to the plan of God for our families. And so how do we lead our families in the plan of God? Number one, by loving our wives. And likewise, the wife is to, as Paul says it, he sums it up at the end, is to respect her husband. Husbands, if you want wives to respect you, you need to love her as Christ loved you when he laid down his life for you. If you say, well, my wife doesn't respect me, I would say you're not loving her enough. Love her more. And many times this is flipped and we're like, wives, get in line, you know, and the wives are like, you should love me more. When instead Paul wants to re-divert to attention rather than complaining about our spouse back to ourselves. And this applies to all of us, right? We usually look at the other person in a relationship and say, that's the person who needs to get everything right instead of looking at what we can change and what we can do. So one of my favorite quotes, Darby got so sick of me saying it because I read it in a book, but Timothy Keller says, marriage doesn't bring us into conflict or romance doesn't bring us into conflict with our spouse or with our partner or with our uh, person we're dating, but it brings us into conflict with our own selfishness. That's what relationships do. It reveals our own selfishness. And so what Paul was saying is address your own selfishness and it will improve the other person in the relationship. And you might say, well, Alex, that's awesome, but I'm not married. I'm single. So what does that have to do with me? Well, I think, first of all, if you're single and you want to be married, it tells us something about the type of person that we should be. Now, I always hated, I was single up to 30 years old. I wasn't married. Um, and man, I just, I had a lot of really bad dates, you know, and so... I hated whenever there was any type of sermon on marriage because I was like, this has no bearing on my life. But it actually does have some bearing because if you'd like to be married, it tells you some things about what you should look for. Number one, if the, the man that you're interested in is not willing to sacrifice for you as Christ sacrificed for the church, probably not a good candidate for marriage. And likewise, if you are um, dating someone who doesn't respect you, that's probably not a good candidate for marriage. All the time I talk to some of my friends, and I'm like, so why are you attracted to this girl? Why are you dating her? So, She's hot. I'm like, okay. Well, you know, like, that only, that's going to get old after a while. You know, there's got to be some reason that you're interested deeper than that. And a lot of times they'll be like, well, she yells at me, she treats me like trash, but she's really good looking, so I stay with her. You know, and sometimes I'll talk to young ladies and they'll, they'll say the same thing. They'll be like, well, he really makes me go out and do everything and um, he never really sacrifices anything for me. My sister has even worse dates, I feel like, than I do. Maybe it's just my family raised us to have bad dates. But she had this, she was dating this guy one time. He pulled up to her house and it's not like there's a long driveway or anything. He pulls up, the door's right there. He just starts honking, beep, beep, like they're going on a date. He won't even walk up to the door and knock. He's just beeping. And she comes to the door. She looks. He's like, come on. And he, she, he just keeps beeping, waiting for her to come out. He wouldn't even get out of the car to walk up to the door. And I'm like, yeah, he probably isn't going to sacrifice for you later on in the relationship either. If he can't even get out of the car to come up to the door. So look for people who have these qualities when you're looking for someone uh, to date. And then you say, okay, Alex, well, I'm not interested in dating someone. Well, look for these qualities and what you should become. Be someone who sacrifices for other people. Be someone who respects other people. 
Um, when I was dating before I met Darby, um, somebody set me up with this one girl, so I went and picked her up. I actually got out of the car and went to her door and uh, went and held the door for her. She got in the car and um, I told her where we were going. She goes, what path are you taking? What route? And I was like, well, um, the GPS says it's right down here on the right. So I'm going to go right down here on the right. She's like, no, that's a bad way to go. Let me tell you how to go. And so she starts describing all these other ways that we should go. And I'm like, okay, you know. So we start going down the road and she's like, there's a car over there. There's a car. Don't run into that car. It's parked on the side of the road. And I'm like, dude, you've been in my car five minutes. You're already like bossing me around. And so then we get there and then we go out for ice cream afterwards. And I'm eating some ice cream. She comes over with a napkin. She's like, you're going to spill that ice cream. You're going to spill it. And I'm like, I'm not taking this girl out again. I was like, this is bothering me. And I couldn't put it into words, um, but now looking back, I'm like, that girl didn't respect me at all. She wanted to mother me, but she certainly didn't respect me, you know? And it should be the same thing. When you are, if you're a guy or a girl, how can I become someone who respects other people and someone who's worthy of being sacrificed for and sacrifices for other people? Become the person you should be, and it will improve any relationship. But you notice here, Paul gets down to the end and he says, okay, I've been talking about relationships, but what I really want to talk about is Christ and the church. And he says, marriage here becomes this picture of Christ and the church. He ultimately wants to talk about how Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, that he sacrificed everything for us, that he was the ultimate picture of love and sacrifice. And he says, at the same time, we should respect Christ as someone who sacrificed everything for us. Remember, Jesus used to say, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what Paul's, Paul is saying is, if we really understand how much Christ loved us, it'll impact how we feel about him, how we think about him, and how we act in response. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the challenge about romance and relationships. And you've called us to bigger things than simply finding a spouse or being sexually or emotionally fulfilled. Lord, you put us into this world to meet the needs of the planet, to meet the needs of broken people, to share with them the good news that you love them greatly and you want them to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you will help us not to get sidetracked with the American dream when you've given us the gospel mission to go out and set things right in the name of Jesus so that we can share with people the good news that you love them and that you've given everything for them to know you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.